I'm going to look with you at Sermon 10. Moises orabat dominum suum, Exodus 32.11. I have quoted a text in Latin, which is from the lesson appointed for today. In German, it means Moses besought the Lord his God, saying, Lord, why is thy wrath kindled against thy people? Then God answered him, saying, Moses, let me alone. Grudge not, permit, consent that my wrath be kindled and that I take vengeance on the people. And God promised Moses, saying, I will exalt thee and magnify thee and multiply thy seed and make thee ruler over a great nation. Moses said, Lord, blot me out of the book of life or forgive the people. What does he mean by saying, Moses besought the Lord his God? Truly, if God is your Lord, then you must be his servant. And if you then work for your own good, or your own pleasure, or your own salvation, then indeed you are not his servant, for you seek not only God's glory, but your own profit. Why does he say, the Lord his God? If God wills you to be sick and you want to be well, if God wills that your friend should die and you want him to live contrary to God's will, then God is not your Lord. If you love God and are sick, in God's name. If your friend dies, in God's name. If he loses an eye, in God's name. With such a man, it would indeed be well. But if you are sick and pray to God for health, then health is dearer to you than God. And he is not your God. He's the God of heaven and earth, but not your God. Now, see how God says, Moses, let my wrath be kindled. You may, I, you may ask why God is angry. Solely at the loss of our salvation, for he seeks nothing of his own. God is so distressed because we jeopardize our salvation. No greater sorrow could befall God than the martyrdom and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, which he suffered for our salvation. Note then, God says, Moses, suffer my indignation. Just see what a righteous man can do with God. It is a certain and necessary truth that he who resigns his will wholly to God will catch God and bind God so that God can do nothing but what that man wills. He who makes his will over wholly to God, to him God gives his will in return. So holy and so genuinely that God's will 
becomes what that man wills. And he has sworn by himself to do nothing but what that, ga- but what that man wills. For God will never be anyone's own who has not first become his own. As St. Augustine says, Lord, thou wilt be no man's own till he has become thine own. We deafen God day and night with our cries, Lord, thy will be done. And when God's will is done, we're angry, which is wrong. If our will is God's will, that's good. But if God's will is our will, that's far better. If your will is God's will, then if you are sick, you will not desire against God's will to be better. Though you would wish it was God's will that you were better. And when things went wrong with you, you would wish it were God's will that they should go aright. But when God's will is your will, then if you were sick, in God's name. If your friend dies, in God's name. It is a certain and necessary truth that though it should entail, it, though it should entail all the pains of hell, of purgatory in the world, the will in union with God would bear all this eternally, forever in hellish torment, and take it for its eternal bliss. <coughs> and resigning in God's will, our Lady's bliss and all her perfection and that of all the saints, it would remain forever in eternal pain and bitterness, not wavering for an instant and with no thought of wishing things were otherwise. When the will is so unified that it forms a single one, then the Heavenly Father begets his only Son in himself, in me. Why in himself, in me? Because then I am one with him. He cannot shut me out. And in that act, the Holy Ghost receives his being, his becoming from me as from God. Why? Because I am in God. If he does not receive it from me, he does not receive it from God. He cannot in any way exclude me. Moses' will had become so fully God's will that God's honor with the people was dearer to him than his own felicity. God held out promises to Moses, which Moses brushed aside. Had he promised him his whole Godhead, Moses would not have consented. But Moses besought God, saying, Lord, blot me out of the book of life. The masters ask, did Moses love the people more than himself? They answer, no. For Moses knew well that by seeking God's honor among the people, he came closer to God 
than by being careless of God's honour and seeking his own salvation. And so, it behooves a righteous man not to seek his own in all he does, but only God's honour. While in all your doings, you are turned more toward yourself or toward one person more than another, God's will has not truly become your will. Our Lord says in the Gospel, my teaching is not mine but his who sent me. And so it should be with a good man. My work is not my work. My life is not my life. And if I am thus, then all the perfection and bliss that St. Peter has and that St. Paul stretched out his head in martyrdom and all the felicity they gained thereby, this I enjoy as well as they. And I look to enjoy it eternally, as if it had been my own doing. More, all the works that all the saints and all the angels and Mary, God's mother, too, ever did, from this I hope to reach eternal joy as if I had done it all myself. I say humanity and man are different. Humanity in itself is so noble that the highest peak of humanity is equal to the angels and akin to God. The closest union that Christ had with the Father that it is possible for me to win, could I but slough off what there is of this and that and realize my humanity. All that God ever gave his only begotten son, he has given me as perfectly as him, no less. He's given me more. He gave more of my humanity in Christ than to him. For to him, he gave nothing. He had it eternally in the Father. If I hit you, first I hit a Bertrand or a Heinrich, and only then a man. But God did not do thus. He first took on humanity. Who is a man? One who has his name from Jesus Christ. Hence, our Lord says in the Gospel, he that touches one of these touches the apple of my eye. Now I repeat, Moses besought the Lord his God. Many people pray to God to do all he can for them. They do not want to give God all that they can. They want to share with God and give him the worst part. And not much at that. But the first thing that God gives is himself. When you have God, you have all things with God. I've sometimes said, he who has God and all things with God has no more than one who has God alone. I say too, a thousand angels in eternity are no more than two or one. For there is no number in eternity. It transcends number. 
Moses besought the Lord his God. Moses means one who was lifted out of the water. But now I will speak again of the will. To give a hundred marks for God is a noble deed and appears as such. Yet I declare that if I have the will that I should give a hundred marks of gold if I had them, if the will is perfect, then in fact I have paid God and he must give account to me as if I had really given him a hundred marks. I say further, if I had the will to give up the whole world did I possess it, then I have made over to God a whole world. And he must render account to me as if I had given a whole world to him. I say, if the Pope was slain by my hand, and if it had not occurred with my will, I would go up onto the altar and say mass as usual. I say, humanity is as perfect in the poorest and most wretched as in pope or emperor. For I hold humanity more dear in itself than the man I carry about with me. That we may be thus united with God May the truth of which I have spoken help us. Amen. Sermon 10 takes as its theme the question, what does it mean to will God's will? In exploring this, Eckhart's addressing the issues of suffering, the anger of God, the transformation of pain, and the transcendence of self. Eckhart opens the sermon with a lengthy quotation from Exodus in which we see Moses questioning God. Why, he asks, is God wrathful with the Israelites? That Moses asks this shows us immediately that his will is not conformed to God's. He's refusing to accept God's judgment. He goes further. Though God promises him great honours, Moses said he would rather be damned than have his people suffer. Moses is bargaining with God. That Moses can take God to task this way inspires Eckhart to question several times whether the Lord is therefore, in any real sense, Moses' God at all. For Eckhart, if God is your Lord, you must obey him. As long as you have a question or a desire or need beyond doing his will, then you're not truly his servant. Resistance is disobedience, disharmony. And so Moses is not, Eckhart says, the servant of God, since to be so would mean he had to be humble, not willful. The servant of God accepts all things equally. It would be ridiculous to suggest anything could happen contrary to God's will. If this is so, then as long as you care about anything above God's will, you're not one with him.
As long as you face any suffering with the desire that it be otherwise, whether the pain is your own or that of someone you love, God is not, Eckhart says in the sermon again and again, your Lord. If you take suffering and infliction in a detached spirit of acceptance, then all is well. But questioning God, you can't be detached or one with him. Since the disagreement to operate, there must be distinction. If there are two opposed wills, there cannot be divine unity. As long as you pray to God that your burdens are lifted, your health or the health of your friends, your prosperity or the prosperity of your friends are dearer to you than God. You are attached to temporal things that will pass away. It makes a nonsense, Eckhart says, of saying every day in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. You're oriented towards your own will rather than united to God and one with his. Under such circumstances, it's impossible to be detached since the detached will behaves under suffering as if everything that happened were what he wished for. Even a moment of questioning God's will, Eckhart says in a different sermon, is the same as a year. And that we could and do jeopardize our salvation and happiness gives God pain and anger on our account. The man who wholly abandons his will to God traps him. God's nature, being an effulgent and ever-bubbling outpouring, flows into the nothingness, the abyss, where the man's will once was. God fills that place with his own will, and the two are united in one willing, one desiring. It is not at all the same thing, Eckhart says, for our will to be God's will as for God's to be ours. If our will is God's, then we're not fully detached. We're separate enough to know that what happens is directed by God, but to wish that God had organized things slightly better for us. If God's will is ours, then an eternity of hellish torment would seem like eternal bliss. Loss of self means that we enjoy interconnectedness to all. Therefore, such a soul united to God has no separate faculty with which to distinguish the bliss of Mary from his own pain. Difference doesn't exist in that realm. The sum total of grace and bliss are shared equally among every soul in unity. The joy of the Trinity in its eternal being and becoming is mine. Returning then to Moses, Eckhart goes on to take a slightly different approach. Now, he argues that Moses is actually so united to God that he loves God's own honor more than anything that happens to himself. By being careless of his own individual salvation, Moses shows that he understands the unity of all souls united to God. If all souls are one, then any special grace, bravery, or gift becomes the common property of all. It's not just that you enjoy it as if it were your own, it is more your own than if you had actually done it. 
It is not that you take credit for someone else's good deed, for that sort of way of imagining yourself has passed away. You have, to quote from a different sermon, Sermon 94, left whatever is personal in you and taken just your bare human nature. For there's a difference between humanity and man. Humanity was taken on by the eternal word. When we leave off our individual will, Rebecca's will, your will, Eckhart's will, and instead will God's will, we too become sons of God and enjoy human nature in the same way as God does. Detaching myself from the distinctions, the this and that of the world, I enter into the realm of eternity, unity with the Godhead. As human beings living temporary, temporally limited lives, we're first and foremost individuals, we're people. If I hit someone, Eckhart says in Sermon 10, I hit a particular person, a Bernard or a Henry. But Christ, though utterly similar to his creation, is also utterly different, in that his human nature is not that of an individual man. He became mankind. Insofar as we are all united to the rest of mankind, so far are we united to God, as perfectly as him, no less. If we enjoy this union, then we must will one will with God. We cannot desire inequality, that God does all we can, that God does all he can for us, but not us for him. For such notions of distinction, weighing up, bargaining have utterly fallen away from us. No longer can we distinguish our own particular desire in order to want one thing more than another. If I lose my meanness and your you-ness and God his-ness so that we are one, I am, then an emperor is no longer distinguishable from a beggar. No unique, separable will any longer operates. And so, Eckhart seems to imply, there is no longer any sin. For we have joined with God into humanity, one simple unity. When the flesh we wear is less to us than this humanity, then suffering is transformed into eternal joy and the word born in the soul.